Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf kuf aleph. We are in the hundreds now, page 101. Um, and we have a new parak. And there is a good amount of Gemara here from the previous parak. We're up to the 12th parak, believe it or not. And that's where we're going to start, meaning we know that we're not talking about everything that on the daf, we never can. Um, today's parak opens really into a uh, discussion of chalitza, and we're going to see that the parak gives more attention to chalitza than we have before. Not just when does chalitza show up instead of yibum, but also the process. Mitzvah chalitza b'shlosha dayanin va'afilu shloshtan hediotot. The mitzvah of chalitza, meaning that ritual when you're coming to do the thing that the yavam that gets the yavam out of doing yibum or gets the wife out of, the, the woman out of having to marry the Yavam, um, is uh, is this process, which takes place before three judges. And they don't even have to be expert judges. It's not that they're adjudicating um, a new law, a new application of the law. They are overseeing the ritual, and it has to be done before the court. Chalitza b'min'al, chalitza ta'kshira, ba'anpilia, now we're going to find out something about the shoe wear of the ancient world. Uh, the position here is that if she does chalitza while he's wearing a shoe and that shoe is made of soft leather and that shoe, mean out, it's closed, it covers the whole foot, then the chalitza is valid. But if she did it while he's wearing shoe made of cloth as opposed to, I guess, made of leather, then it's not considered valid. Because that's not even a real shoe. And the idea here is that is, I feel like someday somebody's going to find some document about processing, and maybe somebody already has, but I have never heard of it, um, processing in the ancient world that involves such a thing. Um, the idea is that it has to be done with a shoe and not with a slipper and not with a, I don't know, nowadays we'd say not with a flip-flop, right? Like it has to be a real shoe. Basandal, shiyeshlo akev, kasher, and even our Mishnah talks about flip-flops, not quite, but close enough, right? The idea that if if Chalitza is done when he's wearing a sandal and that sandal has a heel, meaning we're still talking about something that's made of leather, sandal, sandalim, sandals from the ancient world are leather and has a heel, then that's considered valid. And if it's a sandal without a heel, then it's not Chalitza, meaning you have to do it again. He's got to get his different shoes. Um, I want to pause here just to note for a moment that... Nowadays, there is something called the Chalitza shoe. One of our co-learners sent, uh, sent us a video some weeks ago about um, somebody in New York who actually makes the Chalitza shoe. We can post that link, the link to the video of the man who's making the Chalitza shoe. And it's a very specific, uh, I want to call it even like a booty, as opposed to, I mean, it's not a full boot. It's not that that's sturdy in the way that we would think of boots being sturdy, but it's not just whatever the man happened to be wearing, meaning this is something that changed over time. And the Mishnah clearly is about what shoes is he wearing. Now we're talking about what happens. We've talked about the foot gear. Now we're going to talk about the actual leg of the Yavam. So if the Yavam has two legs and two feet as one, um, I don't know, the default, I would say, of expectation, then there's nothing really to talk about. 
But the Mishnah speaks about the exceptional cases, specifically if a Yavam has been become an amputee, and the amputation takes place from the knee down, and she does chalitza, meaning let's say he wore this, the, that shoe on the stump of that same leg, it's still considered chalitza. It's still a valid chalitza. But if the leg was amputated from the knee and above, meaning uh, more of the leg is gone, and she does chalitza, you know, again, even if he's wearing the shoe on that same lo- leg, um, it's considered pasul. It's not a valid chalitza. Chalitza besandal she'en shalo or besandal shal eitz. What if he what if he's wearing a sandal that doesn't belong to him? Or what if he's wearing a sandal made of wood as opposed to leather, right? Um, then, uh, what if he's wearing his left shoe on his right foot? All of these are considered fine, meaning it might be strange footgear, but it's considered chalitza. And then what if the shoe doesn't quite fit him? What if it's too large for him, but as long as he can still walk in it, or if it's too small for him, but it still covers most of his foot, then it's valid. Meaning, it doesn't yet tell us the service of the chalitza. It doesn't tell us exactly what she needs to do, not in this mission yet. But we are getting many more details here about the the to the, the setup that allows for the chalitza to take, to take place before that court once they're there. Um, look, I think it's really interesting to see how this actually works. Um, and, uh, you know, we will probably post some links of like some actual shoes and things like that. But it's fascinating to me that in typical Gemara fashion, they don't sort of go to like, you know, like, yes, they call they talk about what the shoe should look like, but then they get into like sort of all the other cases of like, what other kinds of shoes could you actually use? <laughs> yeah, and also the funny part is that it begins like a, you have to come before this kind of court. Okay, and then I would expect it to say, and then the woman must do thus and such, and the man must do thus and such. And instead it dives right into the like, uh, or perhaps we could say takes a step back to say, well, he has to show up with this kind of shoe for this to happen, for it to be valid. And we still don't know what the process is. I would have thought that that's going to be the crux of this Mishnah, and we're not there yet. Meaning, it do, again, again, the Mishnah doesn't do what we like automatically might have thought to do. Right. So I'm going to move on to, um, you know, something else later on in the Gemara on Ahmed Bet. So the Gemara is going to spend some time doing, you know, it's typical, uh, some Midrash Halakha to be like, how do we learn the Halakha from this phrase and that phrase that discusses Halitza. But one of the things that we've talked a lot about, or at least I keep talking about, is that there's basically no examples given of Yibon, right? We've had like two, we really haven't had an example where like this, you know, Amora or this Tana presided over Yibon and this is how it was. And all of a sudden we get to a chapter on Chalitza and it appears, which again, I think shows us Yibon was not really done and Chalitza was preferable. So first the Gemara starts with, and this is kind of, I would say two thirds of the way down of Amud Bet, like what was the actual process for Chalitza? Amar Rava, the judges have to establish a place for uh, for the um, for the chalitza itself. So in other words, it's that they actually have to say, like, this is the place that chalitza is actually going to take uh, uh, place. And this is different than yibum, because apparently yibum can sort of just happen 
wherever it happens. In other words, if a Yavam and a Yavama just happen upon the court, because let's say the court was taking a walk, they could, you know, you, they could sort out everything they had to do about Yibum there. But when it comes to Chalitza, it has to be in a designated place. And how do they know this? And so again, they're going back to the Psukim on Chalitza. Right, his Yavama shall go up to the gate to the elders. So this is in Devarim chapter 25, verse uh, 7. I thought one of the things that's interesting is this. We just read Megillat Root a few weeks ago, not even. And, you know, there's a whole thing. Uh, Root and Boaz, that's an example of Yivam. Um, and uh, just so you all know, on this, that my son came to me on Shavuos nice and said, oh, there's such a great Nis, Nis Nistar that we're in the middle of Yavama said this year. <laughs> So, right, um, but, but, like that everybody was talking about Yibum, right? But if you read Megillat Root, like there's a whole thing about the Shar, right? Like that's where the Beitim is. But here, the point is that Daka with Chalitza, it has to be at a designated place. And then now, what's going to follow is sort of a series of rulings that are done around actual cases. So, the son of Yoshua, ruled in an actual case. And it was before five men. So there was a previous discussion on the top of how many judges do you actually have to have? Is it three? Could it be seven? You know, there's a whole thing of how they work out. Come on. So whose view is this going according to Rapapa and Rapuna? Can Rabbi Yehuda? It must be according to Rabbi Yehuda, who said the Chalitza needs five judges. But didn't we already say that Rabbi Yehuda retracted this? This is a previous Gemara. So why would they use five judges? The Gemara answers, Leparsume Milsa. It was the other two judges weren't there uh, to be judges, but it was there to so that more people would know that she did chalitza. Rashi explains to the Kohanim would know that they couldn't, uh, that they wouldn't be able to marry her, that she's like considered to be like a divorcee. But again, the point is, is that they're using real life example in order to learn halakha, something we really did not see with Yibum itself. Now they have another room, Rav Ashi, Ikale, Levei, Rav Kahana. So Rav Ashi visited the home of Rav Kahana. Amrle, Rav Kahana said to him, Salik mar legabein lemile bi chamisha. He says, oh, the master has come up to us now. So now we have five. In other words, he had to do, he needed to make sure Chalitza happened. And then Rav Ashi was there. I'm a Rav Kahana. So Rav Kahana says, Have kame kame de Rav Yehuda. Right? I once was standing before Rav Yehuda, but Amar Lee, and he said to me, Tasak Riza Dekani. And he said, come up and go uh, to the bundle of reeds, at Sturfebe Chamisha, to join a quorum, uh, you know, a group of uh, a group of five. So it, what what he's basically saying is, is that, you know, he was uh, uh, he was before Rabbi Yehuda and he's saying Rabbi Yehuda said that you needed this group of five. Um, so they said to Rabbi Yehuda, why do I need? Um, he said to them, again, this idea, the Chalitza really needs to be publicized. And this sort of makes sense. Yibum doesn't need to be publicized. It's basically entering into a marriage. But Chalitza and the understanding that it really has the status of a divorcee, you could see how that would need to be publicized more. Like women, people would need to understand more what her status is because nothing changed about her status, right? In other words, from how she's living, nothing changed. She was widowed. She either was living by herself, moved into her father's house or whatever. After Chalitza, she's probably still living the same way. They have another incident here, Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda, Habekai Kame to Rav Yehuda, so Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda was in front of Rav Yehuda. Amar le Rav Yehuda said to him, Saktak lezrizei tekane, liitz terfei be'chamisha. Again, come up to the bundle of reeds to join the quorum of five. 
Lefarsume Milsa. And again, to publicize the matter. Amr Le Tanina, right? So Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda said to him, I have a brisa, be Yisrael. When it says be Yisrael, but in Yisrael. It teaches us that the chalitza has to be before a court of Jews, below bebetin shalgerim, and not before a court of converts. But anagerana, and I'm actually a convert. So he was saying, I actually can't be a judge in the case of chalitza because I'm actually a, a, a ger. I'm not actually a, uh, a I, I, you know, so I, would, I wouldn't, this brisa wouldn't allow me uh, to do this. Now, a lot of Mepharshim, therefore, uh, you know, get into a discussion from here about whether or not at all um, could, um, uh, you know, be a member, uh, even if the, you know, uh, of anything that has to do with Chalitza, like if they could even be involved with publicizing it, but that's a separate thing. So Rav Yehuda says about Rav, Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda here, I'm a Rav Yehuda, Kagon Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda, for a man like Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda, Mifkana Mamona Afume. I would collect money from a de- basically from a defendant on testimony from his mouth, meaning this is a person who really has integrity and I, he's equal to two witnesses. That's how a lot of the Mepharshim understand that. Um, then they go on to question whether he, he actually said that. And we'll see uh, on tomorrow's staff, there will be a little bit more discussion about whether or not a convert can act as a judge at all. But, you know, in terms of our overall discussion, it's just amazing. Once we move to Chalitza, then it's like, oh, okay, now we have real life examples. And again, I think it just emphasizes Yibam was not really done. I think it was really actively discouraged. Remember, we had that early opinion of Abba Shaul, Zatanna, who said he wouldn't do it at all because he just thinks people's motivations are not good motivations. And as soon as we talk about Chalitza, we like, okay, we've got a bunch of examples to show how Chalitza was done. That's our depth discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us reviews where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff and the sudden application, real life application of Khalita. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 